Welcome back to Volume 1 of the Ace Audio Archive. I'm your host, Theron Staff. The Archive is a quarterly audio journal composed of personal narratives, stories, articles, and art by creators on the A spectrum. My goal for this show is to exhibit queer art by queer people and to explore the diversity and depth of feeling that can be found in the ACE community. Today's piece is by Jessica Best. She is the creator and writer of The Strange Case of Starship Iris, as well as a staff writer for Unwell. She identifies as demisexual gray ace. You can find her on Twitter at Jesser Best and her show at Starship Iris and wherever podcasts are found. Her contribution is a personal narrative called A Brief History of Not Having Sex with People, Part 1. In the summer of 2015, I go on a date with a very nice man. No red flags of any kind. We get crepes at a local restaurant. He asks me out again. We agree to meet up at a museum. Ooh, another date, my friends say? So exciting. It probably is. I haven't gone on many repeat dates, but I have no reason to turn this one down. You don't seem enthusiastic, my friends say. I was dreading that they would pick up on this, but of course, they are perceptive and I am not a good liar. All he ever wants to do is talk about baseball. We haven't known each other long, but he has already found the time to endlessly speculate whether or not the Cubs will ever break their legendary losing streak and win the World Series again, and if so, what year this might happen. For instance, if it could be this upcoming year, or if it's more likely to transpire the year after that. I tell him politely that I can't contribute anything to this conversation, that I've never been able to make myself care about sports, not even a very small amount. He is not offended or even annoyed, but he does keep bringing it up anyway. The first time he kisses me, he pulls back and smiles. I feel nothing at all. Nothing except vague panic at the nothingness. I am performing my part badly. I can't tell if I'm doing okay on the outside, but I am definitely screwing up on the inside and I don't know how to stop. He's nice, I rant to my friends, my family, but he's so boring. It fills me with guilt, but I need some way to vent, and I also want to make them laugh. The jokes seem to land, but my loved ones also remind me, gently, that I am being kind of hard on this poor guy. They remind me, gently, that not every relationship begins with fireworks. Am I expecting too much? Have I watched too many musicals? I don't even like most of Broadway's great love stories. Half the time it feels like the couple's main obstacle is their personalities, how ill-suited they are for each other. You're meant to root for mutual attraction overall, but hotness fades and it's hard to get invested in a union that seems destined to fall apart the moment one of them gains a few pounds. It's just a movie! I was told when my preteen rage at the end of Greece briefly threatened to derail the slumber party. You're not a romantic, a high school friend sniffed when I said I was relieved at the end of the Gerard Butler Phantom of the Opera because it's a bad idea to date anyone who demands that you live all alone with them in a creepy underground basement cave. I can't buy love at first sight. 
I don't want to. I have a story I sometimes tell myself about finding a human being who is funny and interesting and feels similarly about me and we would cook dinner together and overanalyze pop culture and learn each other slowly, gradually, interspersed with giddy surges of intimacy. There would be trust and respect and inside jokes that would never make sense to anyone but us. Our conversations would go on strange, surprising tangents and occasionally soar the way conversations do with friends sometimes, but charged with something else too. This, to me, is more romantic than a love that pivots on a moment of eye contact. It is also as far removed from the content of my life as Sandy and Danny's flying red convertible at the end of We Go Together. I only tell myself this story sometimes, because the rest of the time, it hurts so badly that I don't know if it's worth it. Maybe I do expect too much. I tell him from now on, every time he mentions baseball, I will blurt out something about Dungeons and Dragons. He laughs politely. I think he thinks I'm joking. The next time he wonders aloud if perhaps the Cubs will win the World Series two years from now, I respond that in Dungeons and Dragons, when you first build your character, you pick what's called your race, but it's actually more like your species, human, halfling, elf, half-elf, and so on, as well as your class, which is basically your role in the world, wizard, barbarian, rogue, and so on, and that while you can choose any combination under the sun, your background can impact your skill stats, so some options make more sense than others. He laughs politely. He's not interested in what I'm saying but he doesn't object to it enough to stop talking about baseball. I begin to suspect that nothing will make him stop. This doesn't seem like enough of a reason to say no the next time he asks me to dinner. Love takes time. We ride on the train together. When he puts his arm around me, I feel like I'm staring into a bottomless void. Give him a chance. He has tickets to a music festival. Paul McCartney is playing. My mom would never forgive me for passing this up. Towards the end, he kisses me for the length of an entire song. You two are lovely together, a woman butts in to tell us. I stand in the circle of his arms and kiss him again, in part so we don't have to engage with her. The void persists, but with our mouths pressed together, at least he is unable to form words about sports. But he's so nice. We go to a play. Experimental theater. I never know how to react to abstract art. I'm not sure my writing is good, but I expend tremendous energy fighting to be as clear and honest as possible. I am terrified of being misunderstood. It's hard to connect with anything that seems like it's being opaque on purpose. Probably I'm just not smart enough to get it. This may be my actual problem with experimental theater. I hate feeling left out. He doesn't want to discuss the play. I don't understand why we even saw it then. We go back to his house. He has Jon Stewart's final episode of The Daily Show recorded, and we watch it together. After, he kisses me on his living room sofa. We're not in public this time, and I really hope he's not expecting this to go further than the couch. 
I don't even know if I'm making out with him correctly. I have no instincts to guide me. I never do, which I've always attributed to being bad at sex, but without a clouding haze of infatuation, the absence is starker than usual. It's like trying to dance in a nightclub while 100% sober, except worse, because this time, the deception is so much more specific. A performance aimed at one person, with no transparency, is also called a lie. I pull away. I tell him I need to go home. He gives me a ride back to my apartment. He kisses me in his car. I pull away. I break up with him over text. We'd been dating for about a month. It's one of the shittier things I've done in my love life, but his response text is notably good-natured. He is the most mature and reasonable person I have ever rejected by a long shot, and this leaves me with a pang of regret. Maybe I will never do better than him. Maybe that was the pinnacle and I wasted it, too busy second-guessing myself and obsessing over how cold and empty and lifeless I felt whenever we were together. Maybe it didn't hurt him to be turned down because he didn't feel anything for me either. Maybe the difference between us is that he didn't mind not feeling anything. Maybe most people don't mind. Maybe I'm just making excuses because deep down I'm too goddamn anxious to fall in love. I am racked with guilt all through autumn. But the next year, the Cubs do in fact win the World Series. So in a way, I guess this story has a happy ending after all. A Brief History of Not Having Sex with People, Part 1 by Jessica Best, was performed by Lauren Bryant-Monk. Lauren is a Canadian tabletop game designer, streamer, ace community organizer, and opera singer. She is a champion of realistic and safe portrayals of romance in tabletop games. One of her latest projects is as the co-creator of the TTRPG Safety Toolkit, which you can find at bit.ly slash TTRPG Safety Toolkit. Her links will be in the show notes. The ACE Audio Archive is an OrkZone production, hosted and compiled by me, Theron Stapp. If you'd like to submit something to the archive, I'm always looking for awesome stories, songs, and art. Or you can pitch an educational segment. Do you have a way with definitions or an awesome story to tell about ACE history? Consider submitting it. Check out bit.ly slash aceaudio for details, and never hesitate to drop me a line at theacearchive at gmail.com if you have questions. The deadline to be included in Volume 2 is April 1st, but submissions are always open. This show is made possible through the support of our wonderful patrons. You can pledge your support at patreon.com slash orczone and get access to sweet bonus content for all of our shows. If that's not in the budget, the best way to support the show is by spreading the word on social media and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can. That's it for today. Remember to be good to each other. It's rough out there.